Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast In Trust on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We will halve inflation, grow the economy, reduce debt. Nothing's changed. The circus moves on, rinse and repeat. We have an opportunity to become Europe's Silicon Valley. We can perhaps be a broker of some sort with Ukraine. We expect inflation to come off quite rapidly in the rest of this year. Obviously, we want to see that happen. What we now need is a period of stable, quiet, serious government. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Starting today with, as we so often do, something new in the story about inflation. Something else is getting very expensive. Car insurance. I'm slightly dreading my renewal. Why is it so expensive? It's pretty staggering. Uh, EY's got this new report out saying that premiums are going to go up by 16% this year and then 11% next year. Yeah, I mean, look, it's yet again something else that's getting very expensive. The Associated British Insurance saying the average car cover is now £511. Um, Car insurance, apparently the third biggest household bill behind council tax and energy. And the thing is, of course, it's a renewal thing. So you don't necessarily think about it until all of a sudden you get the the quote and realise that it's costing you much more than it did last year. Yeah, absolutely. Look, the cost of living issue is is front and centre, but it's not something that is thought about that often because it, it in the inflation figures in the UK, it actually gets dumped into this basket that's just miscellaneous. Miscellaneous. I, I also find myself frequently in that basket. Um, but that <laughs> is, but I mean, look, it's, it's one part of the story. We're going to be talking a little bit later on about the latest figures in the property market. That another, you know, mortgages, something else getting very expensive that we've talked a lot about first. Um, We want to turn, though, to the Foreign Secretary's trip to China Mm. next, there for his official visit. We talked about it on the show yesterday. It's coming at a time when Britain's relationship with China has been strained, but a thaw in tensions between Washington and Beijing may provide an opening for the UK. James Cleverly has been speaking to Bloomberg's China government editor, Colin Murphy. This is my first trip to Beijing but I'm having a a continuation of meetings that I have had with senior representatives of the Chinese government since I've become foreign secretary. And this is about uh, engaging directly with the Chinese government, building lines of communication, uh, addressing the areas where we have disagreements, but also looking at opportunities to work together on some of the major issues affecting both our countries and the world, whether that be uh, climate change, the resolution of the war in Ukraine, or indeed the opportunity to build our economies. Right, on the war uh, in Ukraine, yesterday Bloomberg reported that uh, Russian President Putin is coming to Beijing uh, in October for the BRI Forum. Uh, This will be his first trip since uh, the ICC handed down the warrant for his arrest. 
so my question would be, how concerned are you that your visit here could be seen as endorsing uh, efforts by Beijing to give the Russian leader uh, aid and comfort? Well, my visit here is about the bilateral relationship between the UK and uh, China. In my meetings, uh, both here and in previous meetings in the UK, uh, I have said that Russia's brutal invasion of Ukraine uh, cannot be justified by Moscow or indeed anywhere else. It is creating uh, food insecurity around the world and that uh, no government should do anything or be seen to do anything which legitimises in any way uh, Putin's uh, actions. Uh, I think my uh, counterparts in the Chinese government understand the damaging effect that Putin's actions are having on the globe and I hope that they would join us in doing everything we can to bring this war to a fair and pacey conclusion where Ukraine gets its country back. Did you have specific discussions around this topic already? And what was the reaction to this? Well, I had a, in the conversations I had with the Vice President uh, this morning, I uh, did talk about Russia's invasion of Ukraine. I made it clear that uh, it is causing disruption uh, globally. And I continue to uh, encourage China to stand by the positions that it has already taken, uh, territorial integrity, uh, national sovereignty, the non-use of nuclear weapons and I will continue working as a representative of the British government to try and uh, bring a coalition of support to bring this war to a conclusion such that Ukraine gets its country back. I'd like to ask about the parliamentary report uh, that came out yesterday in which it referred to Taiwan as an independent country. Uh, given the timing of this and you're now in Beijing, uh, is this a little bit awkward that this report has come out and referred to Taiwan as an independent country? Well, I think uh, your viewers should understand that that report is produced by a cross-party uh, committee that scrutinizes the UK government. That is not a UK government uh, document. The UK government's position has remained consistent, that there should be no unilateral change to the status quo, that uh, any changes should be done through discussion on both sides of the uh, Taiwan Strait. So the UK government's position has been consistent now for a very, very long time. Have you invited anybody from the Chinese government to this uh, AI forum in London in November? Uh, what has been the reaction and can that be effective if there isn't any Chinese presence at that forum? Well, AI is something which will affect everyone across the uh, globe, uh, including here in China and of course in the UK. So it's in everybody's interests that we get this right. This is a groundbreaking AI security summit hosted by uh, Prime Minister Sunak and the details of the invitations are still to be completely finalised but we are working quickly to make sure that it is both effective and comprehensive and I course will be uh, discussing issues about AI and cyber and technology whilst I'm here in Beijing. That was the Foreign Secretary James Cleverly speaking to Bloomberg's Colin Murphy in Beijing.
Well, for more reaction uh, to this trip, we spoke to the Conservative MP Tim Lawton, who is a member of the Home Affairs Select Committee, was also uh, the former chairman of that committee. He is one of the British MPs who has been sanctioned by Beijing for speaking out over human rights abuses, what China has described as spreading lies and disinformation. We talked to him about what he thinks of James Cleverley's trip to Beijing uh, and the discussions around the UK and China's relationship? I think cautiously is the, uh, is, is the word. We recently had a meeting with the Foreign Secretary, those five MPs and two members of the House of Lords who've been sanctioned by China for over two years um, now. We're obviously concerned with his trip to um, Beijing. He assured us and he's said it publicly since that one of his priorities is going to be to raise the issue of why Um, members of parliament who have just exercised our our right of freedom of speech to speak out against human rights abuses by China uh, are still subject to uh, to sanctions but I think I think our message to the to the foreign sector is we cannot treat China like any other nation with whom we do um, business so we need to be exceedingly cautious and there needs to be a very full agenda of those issues where we have real concerns about the way China treats its citizens and the rest of the world before we can be talking about uh, trade negotiations and other business links. But it is also the world's second largest economy, so there is an interest in the UK economy of having closer ties with China. How should the Foreign Secretary be balancing those two things? Well, that that's... That's where diplomacy um, comes in. And the fact that China's the second largest um, economy, it doesn't mean that we have to trade with it whatever, um, because the other trading partners we have do not have the sorts of human rights um, uh, abuses attached to them. Our other major trading partners have not been condemned uh, for uh, committing genocide uh, on various uh, fronts. Our other trading partners do not have tentacles which have tried to compromise our security arrangements uh, in the United Kingdom, have uh, tried to influence businesses, local authorities, schools, um, campuses in a, in a way that is not helpful to the UK. So, of course, we cannot ignore the fact that China is such a large uh, trading partner. But the, the, the reason China is such a large economy is because the West has bought an awful lot of its stuff and become reliant on its stuff in recent years. And recent events, not least with Ukraine, uh, just shows that that's quite foolhardy and we need to diversify those partners that we trade with in the future. Does the British government have a clear enough view, a unified enough strategy around China? And the US has become increasingly concerned. We're in perhaps a moment of rapprochement, but, you know, we don't know how long that may last. Does the UK government really um, have a convincing strategy when it comes to its relationship with China? I don't think it does, and, and that is the um, the problem. The, the UK needs the government needs to be absolutely clear as to how it views China, but not just to say things and to condemn China when we have the latest abuses that it commits. But there has to be consequences because that's the only thing that China actually sits up and takes um, note of. Uh, so why is it that we haven't sanctioned key? Uh, Chinese government uh, officials responsible for the atrocities going on in Hong Kong, um, for example. They've sanctioned uh, seven parliamentarians for just doing our job of of speaking out, but we have officials 
who are responsible for the injury suppression and death of uh, of nationals out in Hong Kong, as well as obviously in Xinjiang province and in um, in Tibet, and hardly any of them have been subject to UK sanctions, whereas the US uh, has been much more forthright in sanctioning uh, key officials and putting limitations on what businesses uh, can actually do in China. And I'd like us to go down that that route, which is why many of us have been sanctioned by China, a meeting in Prague uh, this coming uh, weekend to mm. discuss international cooperation in our, in our approach to China generally, because we need to be acting together on this. Okay. Is China a threat to the UK? That word has been extremely important, adopted by some Conservatives, rejected by others, including the current, current Prime Minister. Yes, it is a threat. And, and it's not just me and other MPs of all parties um, saying it. And of course, we had a really damning report by the Security and Intelligence Committee of Parliament, uh, which had done an awful lot of work on this. But it, it, those are also the descriptions from the current and former heads of the intelligence services uh, in the UK. So this is not just uh, political um, scaremongering. Uh, these are people in the know making serious judgments about the threat that China um, poses. So why does Rishi Sunak not call China a threat? If so many thoughtful people are saying that, why does the Prime Minister not agree? Well, I think that's why I say the government's policy is not clear, because the the, the Prime Minister has been quite forceful in calling out China on a number of uh, fronts, that the government has stepped in to prevent certain... Uh, Chinese company takeovers in the uh, United uh, Kingdom, and all that is uh, is good. Um, but when push comes to shove, we have got to remember that, as I said at the outset, that China is not an ordinary trading partner and poses a threat to the security uh, of people in the West, including in the United uh, Kingdom. And it does need the Prime Minister and the government and the Foreign Office in particular to make that loud and clear and to say that there will be consequences and to make sure there are consequences from sanctions downwards uh, if China doesn't change its ways. When you brought these issues to the Foreign Secretary before this trip, what did he tell you he would say to the Chinese? Well, he he absolutely acknowledged the um, the, the wrongdoing that has, has been inflicted um, on us. I mean, for all practical purposes, um, having sanctions against uh, MPs, it means we can't go to um, China or uh, Hong Kong. I have no immediate ambitions to do that. We can't have business connections with um, China. I didn't intend to have any of that. But it, it's actually the fact that the Chinese Communist government has sanctioned parliamentarians simply for exercising something which we take for granted in the West, and that's freedom of, uh, uh, of speech against China's uh, abuses, which everybody uh, acknowledges. So the, 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 the Foreign Secretary said he would absolutely make that case and say that there is no justification for the continuation of those sanctions. There's no justification for bringing them in, and they need to be uh, removed. But the Chinese government are only going to do something if, one, they hear that, and, two, that they are convinced there will be consequences from not doing um, something um, about it. So that's that's the disconnect we have at the moment. The, the government says the right things, um, but it doesn't follow through often enough with consequences for the abuses that China has committed on so many uh, on so many fronts. 
a final thought. We're not that far off the next general election here in the UK. Uh, there have been a great deal of concerns about many election processes in democratic countries and influence, including uh, from China. Is that an issue that you are worried about? Well, it, it's a worry the world over because um, China, we hear, is responsible for all sorts of cyber attacks. And the, the problem these days is um, these are invisible forces um, acting. It's not just, you know, China bringing its considerable military might to uh, to bear. It can wage an awful lot of chaos on uh, on the West by um, through technology and through cyber attacks. And, of course, it has a, a very advanced technology, technological uh, industries um, at military disposal as um, as well. So, uh, of course, we have to be constantly vigilant about some malign intentions which China could have and could exercise. So that's why we have to need a need to have a full and frank conversation um, with it, um, rather than just treat it as any ordinary trading partner. So that was Tim Lawton, Conservative MP for East Worthing and Shoreham, giving us his view on the Foreign Secretary's trip to Beijing. Well, let's turn now to the latest strains in the property market. We've had two reports out today showing that home sales and not just prices are on the wane. Mortgage approvals dropped in July, lenders approving just under 50,000 loans. That's the lowest since February of this year. Meanwhile, the figures from the property website Zoopla show that UK home sales are expected to plunge to the lowest in more than a decade this year. Zoopla expects transactions to fall by more than 20% this year compared to 2022. Their data also shows that house prices are growing now at the slowest annual rate for over 12 years. We were speaking to Richard Donnell, who is the executive director of Zoopla, about their latest figures and what they show. I think a lot of people thought the impact of high mortgage rates would be on house prices, um, which are at their annual rate, lowest annual rate of growth since 2012. But actually, the bigger impact has been on transaction activity. Um, consumer, some consumers can afford to sort of sit back and wait. Hence, we've got this sort of lower level of transactions at a million. Um, that's actually better than a lot of people were predicting a year ago. Uh, a lot of people thought it would be much worse than this. So the appetite to move remains. I think uh, transaction volumes only really start to increase once mortgage rates fall further. They really need to get below 5%, I think, to stimulate more activity to, to keep supporting sales. Given the outlook then for interest rates, does that suggest that the, the slump in transactions could last for quite a long time? Well, I think it's about how quickly... Um, well, it's two things, really. Consumers, you know, are they being realistic about how low mortgage rates are going to go uh, in the next um, 12 months or so? And will people keep waiting until mortgage rates get much lower? I think, you know, we saw in this spring um, that mortgage rates got close to 4% and that led to quite an increase in activity, actually. So I think it's we might have a sluggish rest of this year. I, I'm sort of more optimistic for next year. But I think you know, what's clear from financial markets is that mortgage rates are, are not going to get as low as they were and sort of 4 to 5% is going to be the new normal. Okay. Um, what does that mean for the buy-to-let market? That's also quite interesting. It is. I mean, higher mortgage rates are also squeezing landlords hard. Um, around about 60% of buy-to-let properties are owned with a mortgage. It's really the 30% with, with, with higher loan-to-value mortgages um, where the real squeeze is coming on cash flows as people refinance. And a proportion of landlords are looking to sell. So about one in 10 homes for sale on Zoopla at the moment are previously rented properties. And that's landlords looking to sort of take capital gains 
uh, and and cash out to pay down debt or to reinvest elsewhere. So supply is very tight in the rental market. Demand is increasing with record immigration, a strong labor market. Also then first time buyers struggling to access home ownership. So rents are running at about 9% year on year at a UK level. And you know rents are going to slow um, in terms of rental growth. But uh, with earnings rising by 7%, you know, it's, it's highly likely, you know, rents could keep track with earnings growth. What is the read across then into home prices from all of this? Obviously, fewer homes on the market means there are fewer transactions to track. But what is the trajectory looking like from here? We've had a very dramatic slowdown. So house price growth is virtually at a standstill, plus 0.1%. If you're in the south of England, um, you know prices are falling by up to 1% year on year. But if you're in Scotland, prices are still rising by nearly 2% year on year. I think what's really going to happen is house prices are going to keep sort of tracking sideways to lower. Um, um, earnings are rising, so that's improving affordability from a price to earnings um, perspective. But it's all about mortgage rates and how quickly mortgage rates, you know, how much further they could fall um, to stimulate more activity. But I think for the next two or three years now, house price growth is is going to remain very low, um, probably with prices falling in real terms. Yeah, um, I suppose the the question though beyond that, I mean that. We've understood that probably since about a year ago that there there would be um, a significant slowdown and in real terms a big drop in home price values. Do you think though that there could be a more sudden shock as there has been in the past, uh, in, on occasion in the in the UK? Does this sort of slowing of transactions perhaps mean that there could be a more sudden shock to the property market in the UK? I think the big the big risk to house prices on the downside is if if unemployment were to suddenly increase significantly or, and the and the economy um, you know turned down. I think what we haven't had we've had very tough mortgage regulations since 2015 that have stopped consumers using ultra low mortgage rates to bid up the cost of house prices to unsustainable levels. Um, so we haven't had the big overvaluation that we saw in the run up to previous downturns, and obviously we've got now banks where it's a sort of forbearance first approach, um, the deal done with the government to um, allow interest only mortgages to help people over these sort of payment shocks they're facing. So I think forbearance and the lack of a big sort of loosening of credit um, has means that there's probably there's not a great chance of a big uh, recorrection in prices. And we're going to enter this period of just very, very low price inflation, stroke price falls in nominal terms. What do you think the UK housing market will look like this time next year? Probably similar-ish to where we are now, but with hopefully a few more sales happening. I think, um, you know, we've had a very strong three years. A lot of people have moved. Um, I think the motivations to move remain. So I think transactions uh, are likely to pick up towards 1.1 million. But I think if you assume mortgage rates of, say, 45 to 5%, I think it's hard to see, you know, any big increases in house prices. They're going to remain low, somewhere between sort of 0 and 2%. Um, and then transactions pick up. And that's what industry mm. wants. Industry wants people moving. Uh, and the more we can remove barriers to to people moving, uh, that's going to be sort of good for, for the wider industry that serves the market. So that was Richard Donnell, Executive Director of Zoopla, speaking to us earlier. Well, Bloomberg's Damien Shepherd joins us now for more, our specialist residential real estate reporter. Damien, is Zoopla right that this is a slow-managed decline of the UK property market? 
So I think this goes back to the towards the end of last year after the mini budget, there were some pretty hefty predictions of house price drops this year. Now, I think the, the point that Zoopla are making is that those falls appear to be relatively softer than perhaps uh, some of the doomsday forecasters said at the end of 2022. Um but you do often have to take these sort of house price indexes with a pinch of salt and you'll see that there is a variation across the country um, in the Zoopla report. We're seeing harder falls down south in London and, and the southeast than we are up in Scotland and the northeast. Um, so there's more to it than sort of the, the number that meets the eye when you first glance at the report. But the transactions are down. Um, sort of we're looking at the lowest in over a decade um, if we're going by the Zoopla forecasts for the rest of the year and and that's not good for anyone um, people are really struggling to get the money together for a mortgage because it's simply so expensive now compared to what it used to be um, and there is a bit of a divide between buyer and seller expectations if you bought a home um, during the pandemic when prices were sort of going towards their peak you, you probably don't want to sell at a loss now but then the buyers in the market um, you know, we're looking at the headlines and thinking, well, I should be getting a bit of a discount on this. So transactions are down and, and that really can't be a good thing for the property market, even if those price falls are looking a little softer so far. Yeah. And and so that's why we when we spoke to um, Zoopla, we, you know, I put that the question to him, you know, does this actually mean that there could be more of a kind of sudden correction, more of a kind of crash-like moment for the UK property market? Because Zoopla was very much emphasising what a lot of other people have said, which is that this is going to be slow and ongoing pain. What's what's our view on it? I, th I think that is what tends to happen. The pain is going to be relatively steady and slow. We'll see more people now towards the end of this year having to remortgage at much higher rates. Um, you bring into play the cost of living crisis and you look at the um, what renters are facing at the moment, which are often the people that uh, prop up those first-time buyer markets um, with, with surging rents. And I, th I saw the other day that Section 21s are at their highest in, in six years due to the pressures that landlords are under. So it's all a bit of a mess, really. And I think if you look at all of the factors, this sort of slow and steady decline is something that we would expect to go into uh, the next year, given all of the pressures that a lot of the players in the market are under at the moment. How much is there... a a scope for policy intervention to mitigate this whether or not there's a will to do it is another question but you know we've had the government get the mortgage forbearance deal can they actually do anything else about this I think when you talk to to people in the property market about this it always comes back to one thing and that is the supply of homes in the UK um, and anything that the government can do to promote more house building, um, I think will only be a good thing in the long run for first time buyers and for house prices. Because even in a market like this, where mortgage rates are you know close to 15 year highs, there's a cost of living crisis going on. There is still an element of competitiveness because there's simply not enough homes. Um, and, and, you know, you'll, you'll look now, there's there's several people uh, looking at properties even in, in, in sort of the market conditions that we're in. And then when you look down at the rental market, there's you know dozens of people surrounding each property and it's causing a real crunch. So on rental supply and supply of homes to buy, I think that is the heart of the issue here. Yeah, but this is an issue of you know 20, if not more years. Um, how does all of this affect home builders now? I and mean, is there a way of, of home builders increasing supplies? 
Yeah, well, I think later on today we're going to see Persimmon, um, their forecast to fall out of the FTSE 100. They've gone from being the biggest uh, listed home builder in the UK to now the fourth um, from the start of the year to now. And uh, the reason why is because Persimmon, uh, their focus is primarily on first-time buyers um, and to see how their market value has fallen um, really sort of, you know, puts it into perspective that first-time buyers are really struggling to get on the housing market and we're seeing that the home builders are really struggling um, and given you know co- build cost inflation it's tough mm-hmm. for them to build right now uh, there's a lot of land bank um, t- to look at but right now the conditions aren't great for for home builders to be building at the capacity that they used to. Okay, Damien Shepard, our residential real estate reporter, thanks very much for joining us. I can attest to the pressure in the rental market, by the way. I came home to the, my building, I live in an apartment building, the other day, and there was a queue of people outside, <gasps> which I was confused by until they said they were all waiting to view an apartment in the building. So that is the situation people are facing wow. in London if they're looking to rent now. That is yes. it from us for today. If you like this programme, don't forget to subscribe, give it five stars so other people can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. This episode was produced by James Walcock and our audio engineer, was Marufa Hussain. I'm Caroline Hetke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. We'll be back with more tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.